Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. The Crisis Next Door, a weekly report on the biggest conflicts around the world with host Jason Brooks. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. As if the world needed another potential hotspot, it's got one, and both sides have nuclear arsenals. There is a standoff between Indian and Chinese troops in the region of Ladakh, a disputed territory in Kashmir. China has maintained control of the eastern area of Ladakh since 1962, and numerous times in recent decades, the two countries have found themselves in standoffs at Ladakh. To get an understanding of the situation and just how critical it is for the world's attention is Ankit Panda, an award-winning American writer, analyst, and researcher specializing in international security, defense, geopolitics, and economics. His work has appeared in a wide range of publications, including the New York Times, Foreign Policy, and Politico. He's currently a senior editor at The Diplomat and is author of Kim Jong-un and the Bomb, scheduled to be published this summer. Ankit, thank you for joining The Crisis Next Door. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Ankit, do we have any idea how many Chinese soldiers are on their side of the Galwan Valley in Ladakh? And what kind of military strength does India have positioned on its side? Sure. So I think I think that's really been a question that a lot of analysts, including myself, have been trying to dig into. Uh, there's been a lot of reporting from uh, very good journalists who have sources within the Indian military. Of course, we have less reporting from the Chinese side, uh, where we don't really have a free media to speak of to uh, report on these questions. But it's been difficult. Uh, You've had contradicting reports. Um, The troop numbers in the region broadly uh, are reported to be in the thousands. Um, Originally, in early May, the reports were that 5,000 Chinese troops had amassed in the region, not just the Galwan Valley, but along the disputed section of what's known as the line of actual control, which is the line that delineates um, Indian-administered territory from Chinese-administered territory. Uh, So the question of how many troops are exactly where remains hotly contested. And as you might imagine, this isn't the easiest piece of territory on Earth to uh, report on or even geospatially analyze. I've been looking at satellite imagery to try and make sense of uh, what's going on where. And really, it's, it's raised more questions than answers given the conflicting reports. The Indian side, we have a little bit of a better picture. Um, So actually, um, India has given quite a bit of attention over several decades to its disputed border with China. And generally, qualitatively speaking, the Indian military has a more advantageous position along this area, given that uh, the Indians generally treat it as more of a priority when it comes to their uh, national defense strategy and have invested in things like mountain strike corps. The Indians keep 
um, more troops there for longer, which ensures that they can be properly acclimated to operations at these altitudes. That's actually an issue that you have to think about when conducting military planning for uh, operations in the Himalayas, given that this is so high up. Uh, you simply need people to be there for a few weeks before they can even feel comfortable breathing the air. Uh, so th this is, of course, not new. Uh, we've had uh, several standoffs between the two sides, but I think what is new this time is the intensity. Does the experience of India's military in high altitude help it offset some of the technological advantage that China's military certainly has over India's? So it depends on what precise armaments are in the region. Uh, so first of all, I will say that not a shot has been fired yet, and not a shot has been fired along this disputed border in years. And that's a very good thing. Uh, the two countries fought a war in 1962, and tensions have been high. Rocks get flung, fists get thrown at each other uh, occasionally. Um, you know, there is physical scuffling that happens, but it doesn't actually involve shots being fired. So this isn't really... Um, at, a, at a place where we have to be imminently concerned about serious military escalation. On the Chinese side, we don't have a good picture about what precise military capabilities uh, have been brought to the front lines, so to speak, uh, in the Galwan Valley, for example. Um, there has been some imagery supporting the notion that China has moved artillery into position uh, to overlook Indian um, Indian uh, Indo-Tibetan border police positions on the on the Indian side of the line of actual control. This is a practice that China has employed in the past, including in a, a 2017 standoff, which was also quite significant uh, in a different contested part of the border. Um, but this time uh, we're seeing something quite different, uh, not only in the Galwan Valley, but I think what's really significant is that we're seeing multiple um, multiple ingresses and attempted ingresses from the Chinese along several parts of this disputed border. Why is Ladakh so critical to both sides? Sure. So like I said, in 1962, the two sides did fight a war, uh, and that war effectively ended up cementing what is now today a very uneasy status quo that is captured in what is called the line of actual control. Um, and I think that phrase, line of actual control, actually belies a certain degree of precision that doesn't actually exist. Um in, in certain places, the line simply isn't really a line. Uh, and, you know, we can we can go back to colonial era mapping practices, really, to uh, reflect on why that's the case. Literally, things like the width of the pen that was used on an old map to draw a line has determined some of these ambiguities. But what's important to know about the line of control is that even though the two sides uh, acknowledge that this line exists, the line itself is not delineated, it's not demarcated, um, it's not defined. Uh, and those are all three different things, right? So a definition would imply that the line itself is agreed upon by the two sides, uh, specifically where it runs. A delineation is that the line would be drawn and agreed to by the two sides on a map. And demarcation is the line being physically noted on um, on real-world territory. So none of those things have happened, which leads to basically the realities along this border being defined by where troops patrol. And there have been common understandings that have coalesced around this over the years between the militaries of the two sides. Um, now, Ladakh specifically is important, I think, in a couple ways. So there is the political context that I think is quite important. So last year in August, the Indian government internally rejigged the broader territory of Kashmir, and Ladakh is a part of Kashmir. It's uh, administratively a part of what used to be a larger state. 
What the Indian government did last year, however, was it broke what used to be the Indian state of Jammu and Kashmir into two states internally. One of those states is called Jammu and Kashmir. I know that's a little confusing, but they carved out what used to be the part of Kashmir known as Ladakh into what's now the Autonomous Union Territory of Ladakh. So that's a new administrative unit inside India. So that's an important change to the administrative status quo that India took last year. What we've seen in the lead up to these May skirmishes between India and China, however, is Indian construction of new border infrastructure uh, along the line of control, improvements to roads, potentially improvements to military facilities that I think the Chinese have taken as an indication that India is seeking to unilaterally change the status quo to improve its own position. And that perhaps is why we've seen the Chinese take the action that we uh, that they have. And I say perhaps because we have very little authoritatively from the Chinese side explaining why they're doing what they're doing. So really, we're left to reason. A few analysts have been pointing to the pandemic and suggesting that China is trying to opportunistically improve its position along this border. Um, and that might be the case. But um, I think we have to look for more precise indicators of change uh, to, to have a convincing theory of why we're seeing what we're seeing. And I think the Indian improvements on their side of the line of actual control uh, explain this a little bit better. Is this a case of New Delhi changing the facts on the ground and sort of taking a page from Beijing's playbook with China's PLA building islands in the South and East Asian seas in order to gain territorial rights over its rivals? Well, I I think there's an important difference. I mean, here specifically, though we do have a disputed line of actual control, uh, the Indians at least perceive everything that they've been doing as being on territory that is unambiguously uh, controlled by their side. So it's not a case of the Indians, let's say, crossing the line of actual control, going on to the China-administered side and constructing a road, which I think would be a little bit more akin to what we've seen China do in the South China Sea. Um, that said, uh, there's also the context of what's happened in the last few years between India and China. So I mentioned 2017 earlier. That was the year that the Indian and Chinese armed forces came to a 72-day standoff um, in what was described as being at an eyeball-to-eyeball distance. This was Indian and Chinese troops staring each other in the face for 72 days um, at a completely different part of the border. The the two countries have a very long border, 3,500 kilometers uh, disputed across several sectors. The part that they had this dispute in was not actually considered a a disputed part of the border. This would actually been settled, but it did open up as a dispute in 2017. And after that, um, Indian Prime Minister Narendra Modi and Chinese President Xi Jinping uh, had a couple summits. They effectively indicated that they were resetting their relationship. But what had happened then was effectively the Indians had rushed in to stop what they saw as China changing the status quo at this part of the border. So there has been an understanding between the two sides for a few years now that changes to the status quo on either side of the line of actual control in a significant way are not welcome. Apparently, what the Indians have been doing on their side triggered the Chinese to to see this as a significant change to the status quo. That's at least my interpretation of what's happening right now. Um, and as a result, we've seen the Chinese take several steps. Um, so there's the Gawan Valley that you mentioned. There's other areas, including Pangong Lake, which is a little bit further south, an area known as Hot Springs, which is between the two points that I just mentioned. Um, there was a separate incident that happened um, more than a thousand kilometers away in another part of the disputed border in Sikkim, um, at an area known as Nakula. Um, so the the new thing that we're seeing this time is China effectively pricking India 
at multiple points along this border at the same time. Is Ladakh important to China's Belt and Road Initiative, where it's establishing stronger trade ties through Central Asia and Pakistan? And do you think New Delhi is hostile to that strategy by China? So India doesn't officially participate uh, in the Belt and Road Initiative. In fact, um, in uh, 2016, when China first held its um, Belt and Road Summit uh, in, in Beijing, the Indian side held a press conference and clarified that they weren't going to attend and that they didn't endorse the Belt and Road Initiative. And one of the reasons for that is uh, one of the most important projects in the Belt and Road Initiative, which is the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor. So Pakistan, India's decades-long major rival um, and neighbor, is a major partner for China. And uh, among the countries that do participate in the Belt and Road, Pakistan has been one of the largest recipients of uh, Chinese overseas investment funds. And one of the hallmark projects of the China-Pakistan Economic Corridor um, does trespass what India considers to be its territory, territory that's held by Pakistan. So if India were to participate in the Belt and Road, the Indian government's position is that if they did, they'd be legitimizing Pakistan's control of this territory that China is developing infrastructure on. So for that reason, they don't do that. Uh, Ladakh, by the same token, um, is, I think, a completely separate issue. It has very little relevance to the uh, to the Belt and Road Initiative, given that India does not participate, so there's no actual Belt and Road initiatives uh, on, on the Indian side. On the Chinese side, um, so uh, uh, the part of Ladakh that China actually controls is an, an area known as Aksai Chin. Uh, it, it, it's a massive piece of desolate territory. Um, on uh, that connects the Tibetan plateau, the economic utility of this of this region, um, in a sense, uh, even leading up to the 1962 war between the two countries, was what it allows for China to do, which is connect the province um, or the the Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region in western China to Tibet. Uh, it's a it's a strategic interconnect between these two regions. The area itself doesn't hold great economic promise. It's really um, a place where the PLA, the Chinese People's Liberation Army, conducts patrols and um, overlooks the Indian line of um, the Indian side of the line of actual control. So, uh, from a Belt and Road Initiative perspective, I think uh, what we're looking at here is is quite different. Anka, do you think India fears China as a whole for its economic influence over the greater region? Yeah, so the geopolitics of what China's been doing in South Asia uh, have certainly been of concern to India for several years. We can go back to the mid-2000s when um, the Indians were already worrying about China establishing what many Indian analysts call a string of pearls, which is a poetic way to talk about what many Indians perceive to be a network of Chinese um, port facilities around the Indian Ocean region, for example. Um, Although, uh, with the exception of a facility at Djibouti, uh, which is an Eastern African country uh, off the Gulf of Aden, um, along the Bab el-Mandeb Strait and the Red Sea. Um, Although with the exception of that facility, China doesn't have any overseas military bases to speak of, Indian analysts have have long been concerned that China might initially um, establish a network of such bases around the Indian Ocean region. And there's a lot of countries that might be drawn into this, including Pakistan, uh, where China has a major port at Gwadar, which is a facility in southern Pakistan bordering the Arabian Sea. There's been concern about Sri Lanka. Uh, there's been concern about Myanmar, about Bangladesh. Um, lately, the Indians have had concern about Nepal, a uh, Himalayan country landlocked, but uh, they have had concerns about the Nepali government uh, becoming a little bit more friendly towards China than the Indians would like. 
Um, so geopolitically, there has been a, a real struggle between India and China. India has historically maintained an influence with many of these countries as their most important diplomatic partners. But as China has risen, uh, many of these countries have found themselves being unable to really turn down economic opportunities that cooperation with China brings. So that's been um, really what's been driving a lot of the geopolitical contests in this area. It's been reported that China caught India off guard with its latest show of force. What does this tell you about New Delhi's national security intelligence? Right. So under normal circumstances, uh, the India-China border is something that is a day-to-day concern at the Indian Ministry of Defense and the Prime Minister's office. It's something that Indian planners pay attention to. It's obviously not the top priority that that honor goes to the border with Pakistan, which is a lot more tense. And uh, India worries about that for reasons ranging from national security to counterterrorism. So that's generally where India focuses a lot of its efforts. I think what happened this time, and we have a few anonymous sources talking to Indian reporters about this, was that um, the Indian Guard appears to have been a little bit lowered because of the pandemic. Um, When it comes to the pandemic, which both India and China have been dealing with in their own ways, uh, India went into the world's largest uh, absolute lockdown in March when 1.3 billion people were put under lockdown order. Um, I think given that situation, the Indian armed forces were not necessarily expecting uh, the kind of um, attempted ingresses they've seen by the People's Liberation Army along the line of actual control. So that's uh, that's been part of it. So even though India has made these efforts to raise mountain strike corps and better position itself for high altitude warfare in the Himalayas, um, they did let their guard down, it appears, uh, during the pandemic, and uh, China did manage to ca- catch them a bit off guard. There is the question of, of course, did India anticipate this kind of a response um, t- to the kind of improvements it was making on its side of the line of actual control? I think that question um, remains unanswered, but uh, I think will be an important one in hindsight. Is China overreaching in a potential conflict with India, given its ongoing relationship issues with the U.S. and its increasingly hard line on Hong Kong, with Taiwan always a thorn in China's side? So it depends on what China's objectives are. I don't think China is seeking to start a shooting war with India. Um, We do see these kinds of incursions happen from time to time. The relationship between the two countries is cooperative, but it's also competitive, especially at the border. Um, Indian analysts have a range of answers for why China does what it does along the border. Um, these, these range from seeking a more advantageous position in negotiations. Border negotiations between the two sides have been ongoing for years without any um, definitive progress towards a resolution. Um, but there's also the concern that China is simply trying to put India in its place. Uh, China sees itself as a as a true great power and sees India effectively playing second fiddle in Asia and using these kinds of uh, incidents along the border to reiterate that psychologically, I think, is something that a lot of Indian analysts point to. Um, There is, of course, India's own activism in Asian geopolitics, which merits consideration, too. India has been converging strategically with the United States for several years now, um, and that's given cause for concern to China. Uh, We see Indian vessels uh, sailing in the South China Sea, going to the East China Sea, visiting Japan, uh, conducting operations in the Pacific Ocean, uh, increasingly doing more with the U.S. military. All of that gives China concern. Um, And I think lately, if we look at how the Indians have been positioning themselves um, amid the pandemic, um, we can look at, for example, Taiwan's perception inside India. That's really grown and improved quite a bit. There's been calls from parts of Indian civil society, not the government, to uh, support Taiwan at international organizations like the World Health Organization. That's obviously a red line for China. Uh, So 
again, it's it's difficult to say what exactly the Chinese are seeking to gain here, but I can see a lot of reasons that China would, would look to uh, poke the Indians in the eye right now. While the standoff has dominated Indian media, Chinese media has been mostly quiet on the development. Anka, what do you make of that? Yeah, so that's actually an important difference between uh, what we're seeing this time and what we saw in 2017. In 2017, when the two sides had that 72-day standoff, um, you could look at nationalist Chinese media and see references to the 1962 war, warning the Indians that, you know, they better watch themselves because China's beaten them once and they're happy to do it again. It was it was a really uh, different kind of um, game when it came to the public messaging on both sides. Uh, this time, the Chinese media is being quieter, which I think is a, is, a, is a good sign. It suggests that perhaps the Chinese are seeking to gain something strategically here. And uh, we do know that we have back-channel talks between India and China on the border situation um, happening at the diplomatic level. On the Indian side, too, yeah, India has a free, um, India's a democracy with a mostly free media, uh, free to comment as they see fit on, on the ongoing border issues. But the Indian government's communication has also been quite restrained compared to 2017, when you had much more leaking from uh, diplomatic sources. This time, there's been a real impulse from the Indian side to effectively say, you know, everything's fine. There are no Chinese troops on our territory. Um, everything's fine. We're handling it over diplomatic channels. Um, so the fact that both sides are doing this, it appears with official intent, um, I think does portend positively. Um, inevitably, I think what we've learned from disputes between the two countries in recent years is that they do find a way to seek an off-ramp. Um, and as long as there is a clear trade-off that can happen, let's say, uh, you know, if, if there are Chinese troops on what India perceives to be its own territory, that that's something that the two sides can work out and return to some status quo. As long as that is possible, the two sides should be able to find a way out of this. It depends what China will see as a return to the status quo, though. That's an important question. For example, in the 2017 standoff, the infrastructure improvements that China was seeking to make on the piece of territory that was concerning for India... That that infrastructure remained in place, and this is the problem with reverting status quo, is that once you've built a road, once you've built a building, it's very difficult to motivate yourself to tear that down or to blow that up. You're not going to do that. Uh, so really what happens is somebody has to take a hit, um, and, and someone's interests will take a hit. And it's my view that in 2017, the Indians took a hit because the Chinese infrastructure, if you go look at a satellite image of the piece of territory that we're talking about uh, before 2017 and in 2020, you're going to see a very different picture. You're going to see Chinese facilities, roads um, existing. So really, it's about finding a face-saving way to walk back from this, that even if the Indians aren't going to dismantle the road that they've built that sparked this crisis in the first place, they can find a way to get the Chinese to, to you know, reluctantly accept this change to the status quo. And if China's not willing to reluctantly accept it, we might be in for a long haul. And I'd actually say that, given that we're having this conversation in early June, we might be looking at an elongated standoff. Uh, the weather in this region, I think, really does have a lot to do with how standoffs proceed, uh, given that we're heading into the summer months, which do make it more favorable for both countries to have personnel positioned here for longer we might be looking at a summer of the two sides really sticking here. And of course, I did say shots haven't been fired in this area for years, um, but the longer they do stay in the region, uh, there is a greater chance that an accident does take place. Uh, for example, we have reports of the two sides flying choppers around. Um, there's a lot of fog. Uh, the, air, uh, the air isn't the most favorable to really conduct these kinds of operations. If, if a helicopter does crash, 
Uh, there might be ambiguities about whether that was caused by action from the other side. So there is potential for this to spiral out of control. I don't want to underemphasize that. We certainly hope that both sides can find ways to save face and that cooler heads will prevail. Ankit, thank you very much for joining us here on The Crisis Next Door. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. We've been joined by Ankit Panda, senior editor at The Diplomat and author of Kim Jong-un and the Bombs, scheduled to be published this summer. Thanks for listening to The Crisis Next Door. I'm Jason Brooks. Till next time. The Crisis Next Door with host Jason Brooks is produced weekly. If you have any thoughts for Jason, email him at tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Again, that's tcndpodcast at kcbsradio.com. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up, and your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 